So, Father, there is nothing that can set us free, really free, other than your love. So as we hear your words from Scripture in the next few minutes, the thoughts that we're going to think, would you please place in our hearts as well as our minds the truth of your love in a way that sets us free. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome those of you sitting out there in the lobby. It is great to have you with us. Also, those of you watching the community center and online, great to have you with us as well. One of the guys in our youth department has a bachelor's degree in communications and a master's in psychology. And he was once asked, I was there, he was once asked, uh, what can you do with that combination between communications and psychology? It's a weird mix, right? And he said, well, I can look at the various parts of an organization, at the flow of communication back and forth within its independent structures, and I can, ad- I can identify all the ways that's your parents' fault. <laughs> What's psychology for, right? That brings us to the fifth commandment, honor your mother and your father. We're talking this fall about how God gave the Israelites the Ten Commandments right after he got them out of slavery, which means they are about freedom. There are 10 ways that we can thrive in life if we follow them. And that's true of the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother. But of all the commandments, I think this one raises the most emotion in many of us. Because for a lot of reasons, some of us had great parents and we celebrate that or we miss them if they're gone. Others of us had parents who hurt us and there's a lot of pain just around the whole topic of parents. Some of us are parents and have adult children, and maybe there's a strained relationship between us. And some of us are currently raising children, and we're not sure we're doing it exactly right. Last summer, on our way to California, we stopped overnight at Ashland, and Christina and I wanted to see a play at the Shakespeare Festival, but we didn't think our three kids would truly enjoy Macbeth, so... (laughs) On the festival's website, they had a list of recommended babysitters. They'd been vetted and licensed and all of that, so we hired one of them. Well, as we were driving to her house, our kids asked, how do you know this person? (laughs) Well, we got her name from a website. (laughs) And my daughter said, you mean you're going to leave us with someone you don't even know just so you can watch a play? What kind of parents are you? (laughs) Selfish ones, right? So what does this command mean for how we relate to our parents? And then what does it mean for those of us who are parents, how we relate to our kids, and how does following this command lead to freedom, life, and joy? I'm going to talk about all of that. You're never getting out of here. (laughs) Don't worry, we're Presbyterians. You'll still beat the Baptists to lunch. Be all right. (laughs) One hour, in and out, whether you need it or not. Now, the first thing that I want to say is there are no perfect parents and there are no perfect families. I mean, just look at the Bible, right? Adam and Eve had a son who killed his brother. Rebecca and Isaac played favorites, so did Jacob. Joseph's brothers tried to kill him and then they sold him into slavery and that's just the first few chapters of the Bible. Are you feeling better? One of the idols in, on the east side is this pressure to have the perfect family. You know, because we all do, right? Have the perfect family here on the east. I mean, I know I do. I'm a pastor after all, right? I mean, here's a typical day in my house. Christina and I get up well before dawn and then spend hours together in prayer as a couple. 
Then we wake our three children and read the Bible together as a family in the King James Version, which my children understand because they're pastor's kids. It's a spiritual thing. You wouldn't get it. <laughs> then we eat a homemade breakfast, and then Christina kisses us as we go off to school and work. And then when I come home, I, I find our three children sitting quietly at the kitchen table, humming along to Mozart as they absorb age-appropriate encyclopedias while Christina recreates a map of ancient Israel using homemade sugar cookies. <laughs> Isn't that your life? Because it's mine. Not. None of us have a perfect family. In fact, let's do a little experiment. See if any of these apply. Are you a part of a family where there's been divorce, sexual promiscuity, where husbands and wives aren't affectionate, or where kids don't always do what parents ask all the time, or where there's sibling rivalry, or where mom and dad don't always agree 100% of the time. Okay, if you think any of that applies to the person next to you, raise your hand. <laughs> we are all part of that great, that great support group, ACOP, Adult Children of Parents. That's why this command is not have the perfect family. Doesn't say that. It says honor your mother and father, and by implication, it means to be honorable parents to our children. And this command is the first one that carries a promise. The version in Deuteronomy says, honor your parents so that it may go well with you in the land that God is giving you. In other words, we will prosper and thrive if we follow this. Because so many of our social problems these days come from families where things aren't happening right and kids are getting wrecked, right? So many of our personal problems, our sexual behaviors, our relational issues stem from hurts our parents gave us. And this command is meant to free us from that pain, free us from the past, free us from those wounds so that we can thrive. So what does it mean? I'll start by talking about what it means for us as we relate to our parents, and then I'll talk about what it means for those of us who are parents as we relate to our children, whether they're little or adults. To start with, notice what the command does not say. The Hebrew is very clear. It does not say, obey your parents. Okay, now, if you're a minor and living under your parents' roof, it does mean to obey. There's a bunch of kids in the front row, so I got to <laughs> caveat that, right? So, never kids here, but today, right? Um, and there's places in the Bible that says if you're a minor, yes, obey your parents unless they tell you to do something that is against God's will, right? But most of us are not minors. It doesn't say obey if we're adults. It also doesn't say love your parents because for some of you, that'd be really hard because they hurt you so badly. It says honor your parents. So what does that mean? A couple of things. First, it means to forgive your parents. Now, that doesn't mean they did everything right. They probably didn't. But to forgive them means being able to say, at least in your heart, Mom, Dad, given your upbringing, your hurts, your circumstances, you did the best you could with what you had, and I'm going to let the rest go. And for most parents, not all parents, but for most parents, that's really true. They did the best they could with what they had. Now, ideally, you would have that conversation face-to-face, -face, but even if that's not possible because your parents are dead or because they are not going to be able to engage that conversation with you, you can do it in your heart. I know many people who, who in prayer have asked Jesus to heal their wounds, to be to them the father, the mother that they really didn't have, and to heal the past and to help them see their parents the way God sees them. 
Sometimes writing a letter that you never send, or speaking to a picture of a, of a parent, or working with a therapist or, or a pastor, all of that can help. Forgive your parents. Get free of the past. Second, weigh their advice. The Hebrew word to honor is the same word as to give weight to. And as adults, we don't necessarily have to do what our parents tell us to do, but we need to remember that they will always be one step ahead of us in life. Therefore, they know things we don't know, and we need to weigh what they say very carefully. Third, respect the mystery of your parents. You know, it's very easy for us to kind of caricature our parents, kind of see them as one-dimensional. You're, not, you're my parent. You're not a person, right? You're not a whole person. They are whole people with joys and loves and hopes and fears and pasts. See them as whole people, not just a caricature, not just one-dimensional. My dad's father was an abusive man who then deserted the family, which was behavior that he had learned from his father. So my dad was raised in extreme poverty. At points, they didn't even have a home to live in. They had to squat in abandoned buildings. And in college, I began to realize that I could not possibly understand the fears that my father grew by and how that shaped him. And I realized that for generations, Dudley men had been behaving very badly, but all of that stopped with my dad. He ended that cycle. It did not get past him. And of course he wasn't perfect. Nobody is, and I should not expect him to be. That's one-dimensional. That's not viewing him as a whole person. And I realized my dad is an amazing man who I admire a lot, and he was a great father in spite of all the pain that he carried in his life. We need to see our parents as whole people. Fourth, disagree respectfully with your parents. As an adult, again, you don't have to agree with everything they say, but how you disagree matters. One of the things I'll often counsel people to say when they feel God calling them to do something their parents don't want them to do, often this happens, for instance, with young adults who feel like they need to go on a mission trip. God's moving them that way and parents don't like that, right? I'll say, try this. Say, Mom, Dad, I have carefully weighed what you said, and you need to actually carefully weigh it. But I think God's leading me in a different direction. And I love you. In fact, I love you so much, I got to go do this thing because I do not want to resent you for the rest of my life for stopping me from doing something I feel God's asking me to do. You can disagree, but do it respectfully. And just as an aside, I didn't say this in any of the other services, but pick your battle, right? Like, don't be always disagreeing. Sometimes just nod and smile, right? Okay, those are some practical things that we can do to honor your, our parents. And I just say, you know, right now, maybe just ask God, you know, do you want to nudge me? Do I need to do one of these? Am I, you know, how am I doing here, God, with my parents, whether they're living or dead, right? And I know some of you had very difficult parents. And maybe you can't do some of these things face-to-face for whatever reasons, but you can do them in your heart. Or go to our inner healing prayer ministry that's designed to help us feel the love of God, our true Father, so that we can let the past and the wounds and the pain and the bitterness, let it all go so that we can have life. And when we do these things, when we follow this command, it gets us free from the past and it frees us to have better relationships with our parents, even if they're dead. It also trickles down to how we parent our own children, which brings me to the other side of this command. What does this mean for parents? How do we be honorable parents? Because you see, the Ten Commandments are always like the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot underneath each commandment. And the Bible flushes out what each commandment means. And the Bible has a whole lot more to say to parents about how to treat their kids than vice versa. Now, I could do a whole sermon series on this, but just a couple of things. How to be 
honorable parents, parents worthy of honor. And the first is this. There are four things your kids need to hear from you frequently, whether they're five years old or 55 years old. Four things they need to hear. I love you. I'm proud of you. You are good at, fill in the blank, and then can you guess what the fourth one is? I'm sorry. So many adults that I talk to, what they long most to hear from their parents is, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the games I missed. I'm sorry I was a workaholic. I'm sorry I divorced your mother. I'm sorry for the times I didn't show you love. A while back, Christina and my oldest daughter got in a big old fight right before school. And after the bus left, Christina was praying about it and felt like she'd been too harsh. So she drove to school, did not wait for Holly to come home. She drove to school, pulled Holly out of class, and said, I'm sorry, Holly, will you forgive me? You do not have to be the perfect parent, just humble. Second thing this means for parents is train your kids to be godly men and women. That is the goal of parenting, to release godly men and women into the world who make a difference in God's kingdom. Right? It's not to make them happy. Right? That is what you hear parents say all the time. I just want my kids to be happy. Oh, man, that is way down here of what God wants. Right? He wants so much more for us, so much more for us than that. He wants us to have joy that does not depend on circumstances being just right. Joy that comes from connection with him and having a moral compass that always points true north so we're not messing up all the time and have great relationships with friends and family. And parents, our job is every day, use every moment to shape our children to be those men and women. I know a man who talks about being on a fishing trip with his dad when he was a little kid, and he caught the biggest fish he'd ever seen in his life. But it was a bass, and it was one day before bass season opened. So his dad made him put it back. It broke his heart. Well, now he's grown up, and he's a successful businessman, and he says, I never again saw a fish that big, right? That was it. But he said, I see it every time I'm tempted to cheat or shade the truth in my business or with my wife. And every time I don't do that, it's in part because dad used that ordinary moment to instill in me a moral compass. And as a result, my clients trust me, which means my business has prospered. My wife and kids trust me, which means our relationships are good. That's freedom. Because his dad just used an ordinary moment to train godly behavior into him. That's our job. Now, obviously, we have to do that lovingly, right? We have to do that very lovingly. And all of us have messed up in the past. I know I have. We need to do it lovingly, not in anger. Right? A friend of mine talks about taking his family when his kids were little, taking his whole family, he and his wife, to go get their picture taken. And their kids were really little. And I don't know about you, but every time we tried to do that with our little kids, that was the time they decided to throw fit, right? Which is what happened for him. So he entered into phase one of parenting, bribery. And he said, there's a cookie store down the way, and if you guys smile for the picture, I'll give you cookies. Didn't work. So he moved on to phase two, threats. Kids, if you want to cry, I'll give you something to cry about. Right? Which turned out not to be a good way to get them to smile for a picture. So finally, he said to his daughter, honey, I bet right now what you really want would be to have baby tweezers with you. And that was the name of her favorite doll, right? And her, her eyes welled with tears, and she nodded her head yes. And he said, well, honey, if you ever want to see baby tweezers again. <laughs> Not his best moment as a parent, right? We all have those moments, okay? But there is grace. There is forgiveness, all right? The goal is to, the best of our ability, lovingly guide them 
to be godly men and women. This summer, we were visiting my in-laws, and at one point, my kids started fighting with each other. My son got a little out of control, so I, I pulled him aside and tried to talk to him, but it didn't help. So then I got a little out of control, and, and I said in, in, in a lot of frustration, I said, would you just control your emotions, you know, like I'm doing? And he said, I can't. You're supposed to teach me how. And I knew that God had spoken. So I said, you're right. I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you're right. And I am sorry. And I said, buddy, here's the deal. I always love you no matter what. And when you feel this way, I find it helpful sometimes just to take a minute and breathe in and out and think about something you like. What do you like? And he said, soccer. And I said, then think about soccer. And I calmed down, and he calmed down, and there was freedom. <laughs> Lovingly instruct your kids. And then the third thing, third thing this command means for parents is as your kids grow older, year by year, you need to progressively let them go. Okay, Moses' words to Pharaoh, let my people go. <laughs> All right? Your goal is to launch them into the world and not need you. Let them go. Emblazon this on your minds. They are not your children. They are not yours. They belong to God. You're just a steward. I have a friend who says, don't you think it's interesting that the word smother is really just the word mother with an S? <laughs> says all kinds of stuff, doesn't it? Right? Now, yes, you can give your adult children advice, but do it carefully and do it in a way that respects their autonomy. Let them go. And the older they get, the more you let them go. And then the last and most important thing, help your children experience God's love by how you love them, whether they're five or 55. Do you love them even when they mess up? But do you also love them enough to help them become everything that God created them to be? And do you show that to them no matter what age they are. My wife knows a woman I'll call Barbara, and she and her husband took in his teenage nephew, his sister's son, because his sister was a single mom and, and could no longer handle him. And at the time, Barbara and her husband had a little baby of their own, so it was this huge sacrifice. Well, this nephew was involved in gangs, all kinds of things. One night when Barbara's husband was out of town, the, the nephew didn't come home, and Barbara was just frantic. You know, finally at one in the morning, the hospital called. He'd been in a terrible fight. So Barbara went there. His face was so badly damaged, they had to call a plastic surgeon. He was also high, which meant he was thrashing around. And, you know, every time they tried to help him, and Barbara was just furious with him. In fact, she said she'd been raised in a somewhat violent home herself. And she said it was scary to her how that would sometimes come out in her anger. But she controlled it, and she put her hands on him and just kept saying, calm down, we're trying to help you. Well, that's just one example of how difficult this nephew was. But for years, Barbara and her husband just kept loving and guiding him, which included dragging him to church every Sunday, which he hated. Well, then when he was 18, he ran away and got deeply involved in gangs. But then after a while in that lifestyle, he began to be fearful for his own life, that it was in jeopardy, which it was. So eventually he came home, but he was different. He started to want to go to church on his own accord. And one day he came to Barbara and showed her a prayer that was written out. And he said, if I prayed this prayer, would I be a Christian? And Barbara said, well, yeah. 
And he got super excited and said, well, I prayed it. That means I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. She said, yeah, yeah. And from there, he began to follow Jesus passionately and to feel God's love for him very deeply. Well, eventually, he went on a short-term mission trip to Mexico. And the nephew, he was African-American, and he'd grown up in a town where you were either black or Mexican, and there was a lot of racial tension, and he did not like Mexicans. But he went on this mission trip to Mexico and experienced God's love in a deeper way than he'd ever felt before. And he came back saying, I love Mexicans. They're awesome. Well, while all of this was happening, while he was changing, his mother became jealous that Barbara and her husband were able to do for her son what she was unable to do. So Barbara went to her and said, no, 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 you don't understand. You're his mother, and you loved him very well. She said, you see, it's like Moses' mother. When she saw that she could not protect her son from Pharaoh's army, she put him in a basket and sent him down the river to someone who could care for him. And she said, when you saw that you could no longer save your son, you loved him enough to put him in a basket and send him to someone who could care for him. You're his mom, and no one can change that. And you have loved him well. It's just that now we both get to be his mom in a way. It was hugely healing for his mother. Well, today, the nephew has great relationship with Barbara and her husband. They call him their nephew son. But he also has a great relationship with his mother. He now sees her as a whole person and understands that she did the best she could under the circumstances she was given. And he can let go of the hurts and the pain and the past and love and honor his mother. He eventually went on to marry a Mexican woman. They have a baby who is the embodiment not only of racial reconciliation, but of a family that has been healed and made whole. That's what Jesus can do. Barbara and her husband lovingly taught their nephew how to be a godly man for years. It took years. And now he honors not only them, but more than that, he honors his own mother. And there was a lot of pain in this family. But through the love of Jesus, everyone is honoring each other, and there's freedom and healing and wholeness and joy. When we follow God's commands, he sets us free. And when we follow the fifth command, we leave the past behind and the pain behind and open ourselves up to better relationships in our family. And I know that for many of you, there's pain all over this topic either because your parents wounded you or because you feel like maybe you're blowing it as a parent or there's tension between you and your kids, here's what I want you to know. Jesus can heal our pain. He can heal the past. He can heal our hurts. And he can heal our anger. Jesus is God in the flesh who came to show us the heart of the Father. And the heart of the Father is for you. You see, none of us had perfect parents. None of us are perfect parents. There is only one perfect parent, and that's God. And in order to be truly free, we have to connect our heart to the heart of the Father through Jesus. What healed Barbara's family ultimately was God's love. So will you start praying, Father, help me to experience your love? Not just know it in my head, but feel it in my heart, because until you experience his love, you will always be looking back, feeling like your parents never gave you the kind of love that you needed because they didn't. No one can. Or you'll idolize your parents and you won't be able to let them go. But the Father's love will heal our hearts, so keep asking for it. Because he loves you. And just in closing, as your pastor, let me use the authority that God has given me as your pastor to speak for him to you. This is what your father, your real father, says. I know that you are not the perfect parent. 
but I never asked you to be. I just ask that you are humble. And I know your parents hurt you, and that is not what I wanted for you, but I am your true father, and I am proud of you, and I have made you good at many things. You are my daughter. You are my son in whom I am well pleased, and I will heal your pain, and I will make you whole, and I will give you joy. I am your father, and you have no idea, no idea, you have no idea how much I love you. So, Father, nothing will set us free except an experience of that love. For those in this room who have pain because of their parents, I ask you would love them to wholeness. Be their father, be their mother, and set them free. Father, for those of us who are parents and who struggle with that from time to time, will you please fill us with your love so that we can reflect that love to our children in a way that shows them who you really are. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus, who showed us your heart. Amen.